Hot Topics, Part 2, Human Sexuality, Part 2. If you have your Bibles, take them out as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, and we're going to look at 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. And so today, again, uh, talking about a very controversial, very hot topic issue of our culture. Um, we're talking about human sexuality, so of course I have tools. <laughs> Ready to illustrate this with. Okay, so we'll get to that in just a moment, and you'll see where we're going with that. But I want you to stand with me at our campuses as we read from the Word of God today. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God has raised the Lord, and will, with, uh, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. But sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, the word will be rich and true today. Help us to hear your voice Help us to listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to the church. And as we pray always, may we see Jesus in him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a seat. God bless you. First Corinthians, I think, is the book that most appropriately addresses modern culture in America today. They were a very cosmopolitan city, the city of Corinth in the, in the uh, Greek peninsula in the first century. This is a, a city with many diverse people and populations. It was a city of great wealth and great poverty. It was a city of great luxury. Uh, they loved their Olympic games, their athletics. They loved their, their, uh, their, their foods, and they loved their philosophies. And, and they were, in many respects, a lot like America, 21st century. If you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, I mean, I think that is, that, that book could be retitled the book of first Americans, <laughs> because it's literally talking about many of the same things that we talk about today. And so Paul gets around to this conversation with the Corinthians about sexual immorality, and he's strong on this. He is a Jewish man. He knows the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He's very familiar with God's word about these issues, and so he's going to bring into a very Gentile, non-Jewish context the truth of God concerning our bodies. Now, Corinth was also the home of a temple to a Greek god in the first century named Aphrodite. 
Aphrodite was the Greek god of, does anybody know? Love. And not just the Greek god of love, but the Greek god of love and beauty. And every night, thousands of temple prostitutes, women, would come down the mountain where that temple sat to Aphrodite and would ply their trade to the men of the city of Corinth. And through their beauty and their sexuality, many of the men were allured into the worship of Aphrodite. And in that respect, Corinth is a lot like us. For Corinth worshipped beauty and sex. Beauty and sex. And I can't think of anything that applies more to America today. We worship beauty and sex. Like the two go together almost with the human condition. And, and this is why you will go to a very family-friendly store and you will shop for your things for your home and then you will head over to the checkout line and you will be accosted with images of sexually laden and suggestive women selling you anything and everything from beer to the latest gossip to the latest car. This is our culture. Sexuality, beauty, these things have been elevated to the status of the divine, and that was the reality in Corinth. Beauty and sex, deified. We even use the word sexy to talk about things as if they're great, like, oh, that's so sexy. Like, we'll talk about a car being sexy. Like a car and sex? No. Right, like, or, or, or an outfit being sexy, or even, even the style of church ministries. I've heard ministers, he's got a very sexy style going, like, no, he's a minister. Don't gross me out. <laughs> and so we've elevated it. We, in Corinth, they elevated it. It's beauty and sex. Beauty and sex. And on top of this, this allure for the beautiful and the sexual, Corinth was uh, very Greek in its Context And so they had a lot of Greek philosophies from Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And so I'm going to take you on a little metaphysics moment, okay? This is a metaphysics moment in your notes. And what they held to in Corinth in the first century is something called Platonic dualism, right? Write this down. Platonic dualism separates the body from the soul. And what Plato taught and his academy later affirmed was that the body was immaterial. It was just flesh. It would one day go into the ground. It would rot. It doesn't matter. But the, the soul, the heart, the things within you, that's what mattered. And so you didn't have to worry about what you did with your body. You had to worry about only what you did with your mind or your soul, what was inside of you. Now, this Platonic dualism fit very snugly in with those who wanted to pursue sexual immorality. Because if the body doesn't matter, then what I do sexually with the body also doesn't matter. And I can do whatever I want with my body because it won't hurt me. After all, the body goes to the ground and decays one day. So who cares how I treat it? That is platonic dualism, and it is making a soaring comeback in our culture today. 
We do what we feel with our bodies and we don't worry about the consequences. Christianity comes into the world in the midst of a very Greek dualistic culture and says, we believe that the God of the universe came and took on flesh and blood. In the beginning, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word came into being and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And John is talking about in John chapter 1 the fact that the the universe's creator took on the physical form, and so Christianity obliterates this Platonic dualism through the incarnation of Jesus and says, your spirit matters, yes. Your mind matters, absolutely. But your body matters as well. How you treat your body will determine a lot of your reality, and so too with your mind and your spirit. And so Christianity, metaphysics moment number two, Christianity says it unites the body and the soul to work together for God's glory. Christians believe that your mind matters, so get wisdom, get understanding, and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So you fear God, and he speaks into your mind, and he elevates your understanding of who you are and everything around you, and I believe that Christians should not be ignorant, but should be pursuing higher degrees of learning and learning about the world and being smart and wise as God leads them. Amen, somebody? Then Christianity says, feed your spirit. You're not just mind, your spirit. So come to worship with people of like mind. Uh, explore the realities of the Christian life, the spiritual realm, the power of God in you through the Holy Spirit. And watch what you put into your mind because it will affect your spirit and how you feel about yourself. But then Christianity also says your body matters to God. Your body matters to God. And so what you do with your body will instinctively affect your spirit and your mind. You guys know this. Like, we know this. We have a hard time falling asleep today. This is a, this is a cultural problem right now in our country, in our world. And, and, and now the studies are coming out. Why are people suffering from so much insomnia? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because of these suckers. Look at the size of this thing. Like this screen is like an inch away or a foot away from my face at night. And the light from the screen goes into my body. And then it starts to do something in my mind. They're talking about this all over the place. And we can't fall asleep. Anybody with me on this? This is why you should not troll us on Facebook or Instagram late at night. Go to bed. Get a good night's sleep. But then you can't fall asleep and you stay up late and before you know it you're popping a couple of things to make sure you can fall asleep and then you go to bed finally you fall asleep and you have a nice deep sleep right past your alarm clock anybody with me and then you feel groggy and all disconcerted in the morning and grumpy don't talk to me till I've had three cups of coffee and you're all miserable and guess what happened your bodily actions affects your spiritual response to the day your body matters. This is what Christianity brings to the world. This is what the resurrection of Jesus brings to the world because Jesus did not just spiritually hover around us, did he? 
He was real flesh, real blood, and he died a real death. So in your notes, write this down. If you segregate your body from your soul, one and most likely both will be irreversibly damaged. Your body matters. Your soul matters. Take care of both of them. And when it comes to the reality of sexual issues and sexual temptations, this is where we kind of throw that philosophy out the window often in our culture. And so the Corinthians had a couple of phrases about sexual immorality because Paul says this is wrong, but they had their, they had their philosophy. What was their philosophy? Look at it. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me. They had this philosophy about Christianity that because I have been set free from the law, therefore all things are lawful so I can do what I want with my body. And to that end, Paul says, no, wait a second. You don't need to do all things because you have freedom in Christ because not all things are helpful to your being. And then he says, he quotes another phrase. Look at how they're in quotes. All things are lawful for me. But then he says, I will not be dominated by anything. In other words, there are some things that as a Christian you could do, and they will lead to slavery. And they will lead to your life being sucked into a vortex of irreversible activity and direction that you will pay for long term over the course of your life. So we need to get, this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and what I'm saying to you, we need to get our sexual lives in order. Because nothing, nothing in the world will hurt you more than your sexuality being confused or disordered and outside of the bounds of God's word for you. Like, we almost need a manual for this. Like some of you parents, I got a 16-year-old daughter now, right now. Yeah, pray for me. Hallelujah. It's like, I wish I had a manual. But I do. I have a manual. <laughs> but we got to interpret it right. So I thought about this. Like this, the sexual part of us is like a circular saw. Now, how many dudes right now in the house, just me holding this up is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember Tim the tool man, Taylor? <laughs> what would he do? Arr, 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 like tools. My wife sends me, well not sends me, but asks me to do stuff around the house. And so inevitably the very first thing that I do is not get to work. I go to the Home Depot. And I get lost in the Home Depot. Any, any guys with me on this? Like, and it's really just an excuse. Like being willing to do stuff around the house, just an excuse to get to the tool section of Home Depot. And I'll go right in there and I'll just walk around. It's like tool porn for me, amen? <laughs> I just like to look, touch, you know, hold, grab. You know what I'm talking about? Is anybody uncomfortable yet? I mean, this is <laughs> what, what dudes do. And sometimes my wife and I will go to the home store together and I will say, I just want to go look at the tools. And she'll come with me and she'll be bored out of her mind. And I'm like, how can this not switch you on? Look at these things. And here's what my wife thinks about. Those are fine. But how do they help us build our house? So this is why sex is like the circular saw. Because a man looks at a circular saw and says, yeah, 
I gotta have it. And I can do some stuff with this. And I can feel empowered by this and just the sound of it, just. And, I, and, and then, the, you know, if I use it properly, I can take out my tool and I can do some cuts. If I know how to do it, I can do some cuts. Oh, yeah, there we go. You know, and I thought about this, like, that, that wasn't impressive. Don't clap for that, okay? That was, that was awfully lame. And I thought about this, like, if I just do this right, and I think about this. Like, I can take my circular saw, and I can build a house. <laughs> and that's the power of sex. Like, sex could build your house. It really can. How do we get children? So far, there's still only one way. <laughs> and men are like, yeah! And women are like, yeah, but how does it build my home? Sex is like a circular saw. But how many know that this circular saw should not just be used by anybody? And this circular saw should really only be used properly. I could do a lot of damage with this saw if I don't know how to use it. Am I preaching to anybody now? So I thought, like, wouldn't it be great if there was a manual for the circular saw? Guess what? There is. Every single time you buy a circular saw, you get a manual. I thought, we get a manual for a tool to cut wood. Because if we don't use the tool properly, we could hurt ourselves. And I looked at this manual. The funny thing about this manual for a circular saw, like we could use actually some of the points in this manual to, to teach us about our sex life. I kid you not, I read through it. I was just, you know, thumbing through it. And then I started realizing, wait, that applies to the sexual part of ourselves. Like let me, just, let me just share with you some of the rules about the circular saw, like personal safety. Okay, like think about this. Number one, stay alert. Watch what you are doing and use common sense when operating a power tool. Do not use the tool while you are tired or under the influence of drugs or alcohol or medication. Number two, dress properly. Like, do not wear loose clothing or jewelry. Contain long hair. Keep your hair, clothing, and gloves away from moving parts. Loose clothes, jewelry, and long hair can be caught in moving parts. Number three, avoid accidental starting. <laughs> Number six, just skipping down, do not overreach. Keep proper footing and balance at all times. The next one, use safety equipment. I'm for that. I'm not Catholic, amen. Um, 
Always wear eye protection. Watch what you look at. Amen. Do not force tool. <laughs> Use the correct tool for your application. Here's, a good, uh, here's some more good advice. Store idle tools out of the reach of children and untrained persons. Amen. I'm, I'm for that one. <laughs> Maintain tools with care. Keep cutting to a sharp and clean. Um, if tool is damaged, have tools serviced before using. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? Like the key to a great sex life. Amen. <laughs> we have to do that with a tool. How much more do we have to do it with our bodies? Because our bodies could build a house and it can also destroy one. Check the manual. Because the one who created you did not leave you without instructions about how you should live. That's Paul's point here. So, to that end, four points and then we're done about your body. Number one, my body is delicate regarding sexuality. It really is. Like, I'm not saying your body is delicate in regards to mountain climbing or mountain biking or hiking or whatever else you want to do. But when it comes to sexuality, there's a great amount of delicacy that has to go into how you act in this area. That's what Paul's going to say here. He's going to say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Point the Corinthians were saying, we're Christians. All things are lawful. Paul says, no, no, wait, but not all things are helpful. Like, yeah, you could go and do that, and no, God will not strike you down, but there will be some hurt with that. And then he says, all things are lawful, but I won't be dominated by anything. In other words, that this area of your life can become a dominating, controlling force of who you are. Like, this is just like a drug. It's, it can become a controlling, dominating part of your experience as a human being. If you don't watch God's word in this regard. And then he says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. That's what they were saying back to Paul. Because the Corinthians were like, well, sex is just like an appetite. It's just something that we do. Like when we're hungry, we eat. And when we feel like it, we have sex. That's just part of being a human. And Paul says, no, wait a second. God will destroy both one and the other when it comes to your body with regard to food and with regard to the stomach, but not with regard to sex. Sexuality will carry with it spiritual things into every part of your being. This is why later on in the chapter he says this. He says, flee from sexual morality, verse 18. Every other sin, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. This one you commit against your own body. Like this one is, is going to hurt you. And I think about that phrase. This is a very key phrase for Paul the Apostle because he says, a person who sins sexually sins against his own body. This is crazy because what Paul is saying, every other passage of the Scripture, the one that talks about when we sin, we sin against someone, it is always against God. What does that mean? When I sin, I sin against God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that I tick him off. It means that I sin against how God structured the universe to act. 
When I sin, I sin. Like, like last week we talked about that the wrath of God is like the brick wall. And when you run into the brick wall, you're the one that hurts. You are live, by running into the brick wall, you are living counter to how you should live with the brick wall. And so every other time the Bible talks about sinning against God, it's uh, sinning against someone, it's always talking about the fact that when you sin, you are sinning against the one who made the universe and made the world, and it will only go poorly for you. And so he says this in regards to sexual morality. It's the only time in the Bible that when the word sins against, it doesn't end with against God. It says sins against your body. Point being, your body is made to operate a certain way sexually. And when you operate out of that order sexually, you are sinning against the way you were made to live. You will experience the wrath of your own body. This is, this is why we have things like STDs. And, and let's not even go through the list because that's just one of the problems. There, there's this mantra in our world, like in the, in the Corinthians, the mantra was all things are lawful. But in America, the mantras are out there, aren't they? The mantras about sex. Like, like America for many decades said, it's just sex. It's just sex, like for decades. And now we have hashtag me too. It, 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 can't, it can't just be sex and then have the hashtag me too. The hashtag me too is the death knell to the idea that what you do with yourself sexually has no bearing on your spirituality. People carry the wounds of their sexual lives for ages. And then, of course, now it's just hard to listen to this because the same people who have been celebrating and endorsing and promoting sexual immorality are the same people who were hurting others sexually. And I'm like, wait a second, world, before you get caught up in the Hollywood celebration of their coming of age regarding, to, regarding sexual immorality, I want you just to listen for decades and centuries and two millennia, the church has been saying the same thing. And so why not pay attention to the ones who have said it from the beginning instead of the ones who told you the lies all this time? Like this is, this is what Paul is saying. There's only one way you should cut this board. And some people are like, no, nah, I'll just do it with a hammer. I'll just do it with a hammer. I'll just, I'll just try to cut this board with a hammer. And you can. You can get the job done with the wrong tool, doing it the wrong way. But there's going to be some brokenness. How many people are walking around with this in their heart right now? Because they didn't do it or they had it done to them in discord with God's word. Young people, listen to me. You'll end up like this in your 40s if you don't read this word and believe it in your 20s. It's like, I, I always say this, and I'll say it again. 20-year-olds, go talk to some 40-year-olds in our church. <laughs> Do it for your own good so that they can tell you, here's what happened. And just like you, I thought, God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's the, he's the anti-fun Lord of the universe. He doesn't understand me. And they will tell you, that's where I was, and look what I've got. 
Save yourself. Sexual morality is sin against you. Like this, this is powerful stuff that Paul is saying. Crazy powerful for a Jewish man from 2,000 years ago is saying stuff that still resonates with us to this day. Write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. Sexual morality hinders your longevity. It hurts your life. So, so get it in line with God's word. Number two, my body is designed for God's purposes. So because Christianity believes in the incarnation and the physical life and the physical death and the physical burial and the physical resurrection of the physical Christ, we as Christians believe the body is important. And so Paul says this. Look what he says. Verse 13, the second half of verse 13. The body is not meant. It's not intended for sexual morality. It's not made to do that. It's made for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And then he says, this line is crazy. In verse 14 he says, And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Like your body is coming back to life one day. Like, don't despise your body because God loves your body. He loves it enough to say, I am going to raise it up. Now, it will be different. It will will be uh, glorious compared to right now. Like Paul says this in the end of 1 Corinthians, it's sown in dishonor. Like we get old and we look dishonorable, but we're raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's, it's sown in frustration, but it's, it's raised to life. But the point that Paul's really making is your body is God's tool in God's hand to do God's work. Amen. Don't disrespect it. And don't let anybody else disrespect it. My body is, is holy for God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a better message for teenagers? Isn't that a better message for teenagers than you're just the great ancestor of monkeys? Like, no, you are divinely made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God stitched you in your mother's womb. That's beautiful. Respect yourself. Respect you. Like, right now, okay, I am speaking through vocal cords. You are hearing through eardrums. Right? This is where people would say that my job is spiritual. It is spiritual, but it's done through physical means. So I love my body. I take care of it. I do things that help my body. I'm struggling with a few things. I love potato chips. I, I told you this a while back. We're going through the, the Everybody Loves Raymond show. Every stinking episode, they're eating potato chips. I am now officially addicted to potato chips, but they're not good for me. Anyway, you, you've got to treat your body with respect, and you better expect other people who say they love you to treat your body with respect because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And for those of you struggling sexual morality and you're doing things that you know you shouldn't do, here's Paul's admonition to a guy named Timothy. Look what he says. 
He says, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.20, in a great house, and God's got a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. In other words, in your house and in God's house, there are things that you set aside for special purposes, and there are things that you set aside for common use. You use it every day. And he says, look, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, this is on you, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the masters of the house, ready for every good work. So therefore, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So basically what he's saying is, instead of giving yourself over to these sexually immoral things, give yourself fully to the purposes of God in your church family and run the race of life with other Christians who fear God and know that you are valuable before him. This is for your good. And if you do this, your body will be stronger for God's purposes. And no, God's purposes are not just being part of the serve team here at Waters Church. God's purposes are you thriving in business, thriving in education, thriving in society, in the marketplace, in the halls of power, in the whole world. I think Christians should be outrunning the pagans because we realize that our bodies are God's tools and so we respect it and we feed it what it should be fed and we remove from it the contaminants that would only destroy it. So beyond, beyond just sexual morality, we've got to watch what we put in physically for food. We've got to watch what we put in medicinally. Like this is a serious problem in American culture. We are the most pharmaceutical, the largest pharmaceutical users in the world. And it's almost like we go straight to a pill for every single problem. I remember years ago they used to have TV shows, TV commercials for restless leg syndrome. Remember this? RLS. They even had a clever little acronym for it. RLS. And I remember watching one time. They were like, take this pill for restless leg syndrome. And I remember I was watching, and I had my leg up on the couch when I was watching. And my leg, while I was watching, was doing this. Like, I'm like, oh, I have RLS. <gasps> right? And how stupid would it be? I got to take a pill. And then the, 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 the little... The little um, uh, wording at the end of the commercial, right, could cause brain damage and heart attack and stroke and all these other problems. And it's like, um, at least my leg will be still. <laughs> It'll be still because you're dead. Like that's. <laughs> be careful what you do with your body. Number three, my body flourishes through sexual fidelity. It flourishes. That if you can save yourself for marriage, you will flourish. That's Paul's point here. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? So one of the forms of sexual morality, prostitution, he's talking about specifically in, regarding to the, in, in regards to the Corinthians. And, and he says, no, you don't take the member of Christ, your body, and unite it with someone who is unfaithful in their definition. Like think, what is a prostitute? A prostitute represents the most casual, illicit form of relationship you can find. A, a prostitute literally 
is living casual non-committal sex. And Paul says, you have been united to the faithful one. Like, think about this. this is, so he, he contrasts the prostitute with Christ. This is who you're united with. How could you be united to the faithful one and also the faithless one? It won't go well for you. Fidelity brings flourishing. Ooh, that's so good. We should all say it at all of our campuses. One, two, three. Fidelity brings flourishing. It's, it's why when a married couple says we've been married for, and I think like the number is like 25. Like once we hit 25, the audience automatically applauds. <laughs> what are we doing there? Oh, that's good. We honor faithfulness. And the scriptures have Story after story after story of how unfaithfulness actually hinders your flourishing. So verse 16, he says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. In other words, when you unite yourself to the non-committal relationship of the prostitute or the sexually immoral, you are actually becoming non-committal and thereby leading to faith. To fruitlessness instead of fruitfulness. Now, I mean, we have story after story. Samson, the mighty deliverer, is brought down by a woman. And he's not brought down by one, he's brought down by two. Delilah was girl number two. And he didn't learn his lesson from girl number one, he followed in girl number two, and she wore him down with her incessant nagging. What's the secret of your... And, and he gave her up, gave up the secret, and bound in chains. David, the Bible says David sins with Bathsheba. He sees her, he lusts after her, he sleeps with her, then he organizes this idea to kill her husband so that he can take her to be his wife. And from that moment, David's life spirals downward and his children go crazy. Or Solomon... Solomon is the Wilt Chamberlain of the Bible. Dude has 700 wives and 300 concubines. How on earth did he not kill himself? I want to know. <laughs> Seven, and the Bible says about Solomon, he, he was rich, prosperous, powerful, used, and then he fell in love with foreign women, and from that moment forward, it does irreparable damage to his life. Like the Bible is saying it over and over and over again through stories. And sometimes people say, didn't Jacob have multiple wives? And didn't David have multiple wives? And Solomon? And these are all God's men. Yes, that's right. They did have multiple wives. That's not prescriptive language. The Bible is not saying have multiple wives. The Bible is saying look at these guys and notice how jacked up their lives are because of their multiple wives. Like, learn from the, they're your 40-year-olds for you if you can't find one in Waters Church. Talk to them, and they'll show you. And I'm just telling you, and especially for the young people, man, if you just, if you, if you do what this world thinks is actually, like, almost an offensive term, if you stay a virgin until you're married, you will flourish. And you say, oh, I've already blown it, Pastor. God can work with where you're at. 
and cause flourishing to happen from here forward. You, you understand that this is the death knell argument for shacking up right here. Here's the death knell argument against shacking up. Ladies, pay attention especially. Men are very attracted to adventurous, illicit sex. It's just a fact. They are. And when you sleep with him without commitment, you are feeding that appetite. The man develops a thirst, a hunger for illicit sex. It's adventurous. There's something about him. He wants, it's the flesh nature of the man. He wants to have sex when it's wrong. And you, by sleeping with even if he's your boyfriend or your cohabitant or he's paying the rent and you're just hanging with him because it's cool and everybody else is doing you are feeding an illicit appetite that he's more than happy to let you indulge. Now you take that same man and you put a ring on his finger and a ring on the girl's finger that he's been doing that with so far, and now you've put that man into a covenantal committed relationship, and while he's getting regular committal sex, that appetite that you helped create before you got married is still there. This is why men turn to pornography. This is why men turn to adultery more often than women. Ladies, young ladies especially, don't feed the beast. If you feed it, it will grow and it will come back to bite you. I'm just telling you. It's very quiet here, but it's good preaching. Amen, somebody. Like this, this is good preaching. Marriage can build, uh, uh, sex can build a home, or it can leave you splintered. Hey, now, number four, finally. My body is purchased by God as his dwelling place. Like, your body is not yours. <laughs> this, this is why I have a problem with Democrats. I have a problem with Republicans, too. When I preach about tithing, you hear about my problems with Republicans, because it's not your money. It's not your money. But on the other side of the political aisle, is, it's your body. No, it's not. Not for Christians. If you're a Christian, your body is no longer your property. Look what he says, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Like, the Holy Spirit is in you. That is awesome. If you're a Christian, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, he took away the sins so that the Holy Spirit could come in. And then he says this, you have your body from God, and you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. By the way, the word temple here, the word temple in verse 19, it's a very specific word. Paul doesn't actually refer to the temple precincts. He's actually talking about the inner court of the temple. The word in Greek is naos. It's the inner temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where the high priest would go once a year to atone for the sins of the people, the very presence of God right into that place. And Paul says, you're not on the outskirts with God as a Christian. God doesn't dwell around you. He doesn't hang out with you. 
He takes up residence as it was in the Old Testament in the temple. That Holy Spirit has come into your body and now you are the carrier for the third person of the Trinity and God Almighty is in you. And this is great because the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, I can live with holiness. I can overcome sexual temptation. I can walk the right path. Why? Not because I've got willpower, but because I've got Holy Spirit power to do what God wants me to do. And and I've, I've said this before, it's the shortest, it is the shortest prayer for for power to overcome whatever sexual issue you got, short prayer, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm not going to resist this in my own strength. I'm not going to resist this because somebody has, you know, my phone number to call me late at night just to check in on me. Like, that's fine. That's fine. But you know what? The, whole, the flesh will find a way. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, let me take the reins of this moment. And let me win what you can't win. And over time, let me perfect you into the tool in the hand of the master so that you can be powerful and effective for the kingdom of God. That's God's will for you. You've got a great body. Respect it. Honor it. And God will bless it.